Go. Welcome back to Round Guy, the podcast, along with my buddy uh, Dave Johnson, Mr. Southeast Iowa. We have been making uh, conversation with a plethora, uh, a cornucopia of comics, uh, uh, museums throughout this great state of Iowa, and and just other digitatories and talented people. Today, uh, no less than than that, we're going to be talking with Billy McQuiggan. And Billy, in the event you're not familiar, you're going, gosh, I've heard that name. But he is the Buddy Holly tribute artist, also does a show around the Beatles. Billy, it took us a while to track you down, but I had told Dave, I said, I really want to visit with this guy. It's good to talk with you today, my friend. It's great. Really great to talk to you as well. When they got a hold of me, they said, hey, somebody named the round guy is trying to get a hold of you. And I was like, huh, did I, did I owe Steve money? I <laughs> I yeah, it's great. Well, it's great to talk to you. If you don't know for sure, yes, you do. Yeah, okay. You owe me a bunch of money. <laughs> Just send me your address. I'll, uh, I'll send it right over. There you go. There you go. Uh, listen, you were a guest in our radio show in Des Moines on a number of occasions when you would make appearances at not just the uh, Des Moines Funny Bone, but other venues as well, because you do a tribute show to not just one, but two uh, uh, artists that we all have come to know and love, Buddy Holly and the Beatles. And I know the pandemic has undoubtedly messed up your touring schedule, uh, but give us give us some background because I believe it was first you did the Buddy Holly tribute, and then you came up with uh, the Beatles tribute because you're incredibly talented with your guitar and and uh, vocals. But tell us a little bit about how you got started with Buddy Holly. Yeah, I'll give you the. I'll try to give you the shortest uh, shortest version of that. So my, my brothers and I were military kids. Our dad was in the Air Force. So we traveled all over. Uh, I was born in Delaware originally, and then my dad got stationed in Germany. And those are kind of my formative years. From like age three to eight, I lived in Germany, and we didn't have television. So I kind of grew up in the 40s. If you, I mean, it was the 80s, but it felt like the 40s, because all we had were my dad's Beatle records, his old, like, four, you know, classic rock records that were coming out. They weren't classic rock then. And so my brothers and I just listened to those incessantly. So kind of wanted to be an actor, but I loved music. I could play guitar and sing. Uh, but being a military kid, you'd get situated enough to move. And then I lived in Georgia for a long time, and it wasn't cool to be a musician or be an actor kid there. And then we moved to Omaha, and, uh, and you know, I was in high school started acting and doing things around Omaha. Thought I was going to be a comic. I got involved with a comedy troupe. Uh, and that's kind of how I became connected with comedy. So that's my background. I'm kind of a, an actor, musician, comic, uh, all of those things. And, uh, and I would gotten to the point where I was doing so poorly in my career that I had quit acting altogether and just started playing in a cover band. And the Omaha Playhouse was doing Buddy the Buddy Holly story, and they were like, hey, there's this guy that can, he can act and he can play guitar. Would, would I be interested? And I did that show in 2002. So 20 years ago, I took that role, and I immediately dropped out of school because we had a waiting list of 1,500 people to see that show at the Omaha Playhouse. And I wrote my own show called Rave On, and I started at the Omaha Funny Bone. And then when I met, met you, Steve, that was 
the Des Moines Playhouse had called me to do the play, the Buddy Holly story that I'd done at the Omaha Playhouse. And I just kind of said, yeah, I'll do that, but you need to do my Ray Vaughn show too after. And that's kind of how you saw me as I was popping up. That was right as my career was starting, so uh, 20 years ago. And then that's how we met, and I just never stopped. Uh, I was doing Buddy for a while, and then just started to do my own show. And then this Beatles show came about because my brothers and I love that music. It's what we grew up, and we lost our dad at an early age to leukemia, and the Beatles music was kind of what healed us from that. So it's a Beatles show where you don't dress up like the Beatles, you know, it's kind of, we're just ourselves, and I interact with the audience because of my improv background, and that's mainly what I do now. So that's the long story. Does that work all right? Well, that's the Reader's Digest version, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm an overnight, an overnight success. So here I am sure. 20 years later. Yeah. 20 years of... Now... Uh, what has the pandemic done to your career other than, uh, like everybody else, kind of put it on hold, I assume? Yeah, you know, most people probably have a disaster story, and mine certainly was, but all of my business was touring at that point. So in March 2020, I was headlining on a cruise ship. We thought, hey, everything will be fine. This will be over in a week. Uh, not the best place to be, uh, but that's where my career kind of was. I was I was a headliner on cruise ships. I was playing theaters all over the country. But all of our income for my company, and I employ about 20 people with my company now, um, it was all through touring. And when the pandemic came, that immediately went away. So I started doing shows in parking lots here, producing, you know, I, I hadn't done the Buddy Holly show in a while. And I thought, ah, I can sing some Buddy Holly songs still if it makes people feel good. So we lined it up like an old drive-in in a parking lot. So people brought their cars and they could tune in on the radio if they wanted to or just see me on stage in the middle of a parking lot. And that's kind of what we did. We pivoted. So I opened the McGuigan Arts Academy here in Omaha where we have 300 students now. Um, so kids that want to get involved with the arts, whether it's through comedy or music or uh, acting, we provide that. So I pivoted. But now touring is coming back. And, you know, I'm ready for that. Perfect. How soon is that going to bring you around the central Iowa area? You know, we are working with the Des Moines right now. We can't wait to be back in Des Moines. We haven't really been there since I think 2014 was my was my last show was in the Des Moines area. But uh, we're definitely working on coming back as soon as everybody's ready to party again, full on. That's that's where we'll be. Perfect. Now, of the numerous times you came into our radio studio and we would talk, uh, you mentioned to me, one of the things I I remember vividly is you talking about touring with the Buddy Holly show, yeah. and afterwards, the people that would come up and visit with you, and I want to remember that you said many of them had stories about Buddy Holly, some that knew him, some that ran into him, and some that, of course, loved him, but, but they all had stories. And, and I yeah. remember you saying that they sometimes would give you things relative to Buddy Holly. And t talk yeah. a little bit about that. I, I love that you remember that because, you know, you have to remember, I, was, I thought my career was over as a performer, and then I got this kind of reinvention as, as Buddy Holly, you know? And so that kind of being my first time, and I think I was in Des Moines, like those first years, I was over there at least two or three times a year, it felt like. Uh, I was like Jay Medicine Hat working the clubs in Des Moines. Um, and I just remember being there and people 
because of where Des Moines is located, a lot of people had either seen him on the last tour at the last show in Clear Lake or had tickets to see him in Moorhead, Minnesota the next night. Uh, and that just became, it became apparent to me that Buddy Holly was more than, than a character. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Like people really loved his music in a way like I love the Beatles music. It, it, it was just important to them. And I could see it every night when I would play his songs, but especially when I would play the songs and then people would come up and I, a lot of news articles I would get, Steve, you know, uh, articles from the Clear Lake the Clear Lake paper the next day or, you know, their clippings that they've had since they were 10 or 11. I still have boxes full of those things because it just meant so much to me and people, you know, would entrust that to me. And then the coolest thing that happened to me as my career as Buddy Holly or playing his songs, I was actually able to play with uh, Sonny West. He was the guy that wrote the songs, Rayvon and Oh Boy. And, oh, yeah? and Tommy, yeah, and Tommy Alsip, who was with Buddy on that last tour, he was the guy that flipped the coin with Richie Valens. I mean, for me, that was like La Bamba was my movie as a kid, you know. So he had a, he knew Richie Valens. I was like, wow. everybody was like, he knew Buddy Holly, and I'm like, you kidding me? This guy knew Richie Valens, who was 17 when he passed away. Um, but you know, Tommy gave me just stories, you know, about hanging out with Buddy. And it just became apparent to me that, you know, the day the music died really meant something to people. So anytime I play Buddy's music, I never play it uh, softly or or e as easy listening because that's not what made Buddy cool. What made it cool was his frenetic energy that you can still hear coming through in those songs. That was, you know, his career was 18 months long from the time yeah. that'll, that'll be the day was a hit until he died in that cornfield. That's only 18 months. and he, he wrote and recorded 180 songs in that time. So, yeah, I mean, there's something to it, you know? We are privileged to be talking to Billy McQuiggan, who uh, does a, a tribute show to Buddy Holly, also does a tribute show relative to the Beatles' uh, library of songs. Uh, Billy, have you ever played the surf ballroom? You know, I, uh, I, I haven't, not... I've been asked a time or two. Um, when I was first starting out in my career, I had a lot of run-ins with Buddy Holly's, Buddy Holly's widow. And and it was always kind of like, hey, you know, if you want to keep that at arm's length, you might not want to play there. And I always, just, that just stuck with me. But when I went there and visited the, the surf, uh, which was amazing, I, I don't know, I had a little reverence for it. And I didn't feel like I was the person to play there. I thought, you know, if I came as a, as me, absolutely, I would play there. But going and saying, hey, I'm Buddy Holly, aw shucks, that just didn't feel right to me. So I've personally never done that. Uh, I, I kind of hold it, you know, I mean, I kind of hold it at a little bit of a reverence point, which maybe is I, silly, but that's just too I know, I think I could understand that. Yeah. What about the crash site then that's not far from the surf ballroom? Have you ever visited the, uh, the crash yeah, site? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we we did uh, the guys that were playing the crickets when I did the Buddy Holly show in Des Moines the first time. We uh, we went to the crash site. We went to the airport where they left end uh, of the surf. So yeah, it's 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 I don't know. It's a it's a spot where something really important in a genre that I really care about something important happened there. You know? Sure. And and yeah. was it 
I assume that you had mixed emotions when you were at the uh, crypt site. I have. I've been there, and I know they've got a monument to uh, those that died there that night. Uh, I assume they still had that at the time, because I think somebody told me once that that had had been stolen for a period of time, and they finally got it back. I think it's back there now. When we went, you really had to kind of know where it was. Now I think there are a pair of glasses or something in the in the cornfield to kind of mark it. But at that point, you had to know how to get there, which which kind of made it cooler. You know, you felt like you were on a, a scavenger hunt or something. You know, and and Buddy Holly and, and uh, Richie Valens, the Big Bopper, and and of course mm-hmm. the pilot uh, that that died that night. Uh, are you aware there's another celebrity, uh, kind of a tragic uh, uh, addendum to, to that, but, but not the only celebrity to die in a plane crash in Iowa? Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, in Iowa? Yeah. I was going to say Ricky Nelson, but that wasn't in Iowa. Who else? Uh, I'm not sure who else passed away in well, Iowa. Well, it was the, the heavyweight boxer Rocky Marciano died in a plane crash in uh, right in Newton, Newton, Iowa. I, had, I know where Newton is. I had no idea. And, uh, the Bermuda you, Triangle of the Midwest. It, sort of, yes. And, <laughs> and also, uh, you know, of course, Willie Farrell. Yeah. His yeah. brother was on that plane. He was bringing Rocky Marciano to Des Moines no to be at a banquet. So Willie's brother, Rocky Marciano, and the pilot uh, died in Newton Iowa in a plane crash. So it's no idea. Wow. It's kind of eerie, and I didn't. Many people aren't aware of that, and I was suspecting that perhaps you you didn't know it either, which is why yeah, I mentioned. Yeah, no, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I thought you were headed towards Ricky Nelson because Ricky Nelson, the last song that Ricky Nelson played the night he died was Rayvon. That was his closing song on his set list, and then he got in an airplane crash and died. That, but yeah, I didn't know about uh, Rocky Marciano. Yes. Yeah, Iowa, unfortunately, uh, has had uh, a variety of different celebrities died. Uh, Cary Grant uh, died of a heart attack in Davenport. And uh, there are some others I can't think of now, but but uh, Iowa is probably, if you're a celebrity, the place to stay away from, <laughs> as it turns out. Uh, and so, uh, so give us a little more feedback from some of the folks that have seen your Buddy Holly tribute, and you said his widow, has, has, he, has she seen your show? Uh, you know, we we were able to settle, you know, our legal disputes, but she never saw the show. Uh, again, what what I always loved, uh, I saw the show in the, the play that I ended up doing in Omaha and in Des Moines. I saw it in, in London, like in their, on their Broadway in the West End. And it was like the energy that came with that show. I just thought, I've never witnessed anything like that, you know, where you could tell they were acting, but it just felt like a rock concert. And, and luckily, luckily for me, you know, before when I stopped acting, I was just playing in a bar for four hours a night, hoping that any audience would ever see me. Um, so when people would see my show, they'd be like, I just have never seen that much energy coming from, you know, an actor or a performer. And it was, for me, it was, I wasn't channeling any energy from Buddy Holly, but it was, you know, 
I wasn't going to let his music just kind of sit there. And I think people respected that because I, you know, there are people that are way better than I am at it, Steve. And I have no problem admitting that. Um, there are guys that have had a career that theirs is way cooler than mine, you know, they, but I came at it from an actor point of view, not as a, Hey, I'm a tribute artist. That just kind of happened. You know, I was coming at it from, uh, you know, from from a comedy point of view, let's tell some of his stories and, and make people entertained by them. But I think the most important thing is just keeping that music alive. That's what I've heard the most. Thank you for for playing rock and roll the way it's supposed to be played. Um, now, what know, about think, okay, what about Don, Don McLean? Have you ever had any interaction with him? Because his song American Pie is probably as close to a tribute uh, to Buddy Holly as we can get, right? I, I think so. I mean, that's what that, that song, it just, it really captures that moment. Not not necessarily even even the part about Buddy, Richie, and the Big Bopper, but kind of the feeling that I'm trying to describe, see if that makes sense. That would, that's what meant the most to people about his music, that when they were little kids, they lost, you know, that, that icon. And that... Uh, I can't really describe, yeah, but uh, Don McLean, we did radio together one time, and uh, so I got to hear him sing a few of the songs three feet away from him, and I just sat there quietly. You know, I'm always, to me, I'm always the guy that brought the comics uh, to the radio in the morning and sat in the corner, so when, when I get to see somebody do their thing, I just sit back and admire it, so pretty amazing. What what kind of uh, interaction did you have, if any, with Don McLean and uh, I assume he was aware that you did a tribute to, to Buddy Holly? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to him about Tommy Alsop. Uh, Tommy Alsop was, again, the, the guy who did the coin flip with Richie. He was always kind of my in with people because I'd, I'd met him and talked to him. So I, that's kind of what I asked on. I was like, hey, did you, did you ever get a chance to meet Tommy Alsop? And he's like, I know who you're talking about, but I didn't get a chance to meet him. So that was kind of my name drop. <laughs> And that's kind of what we talked about. And I just told him that, you know, I get to see the power of his song night after night because at that time we were doing American Pie in our show. And uh, and he just, you know, he's like, keep the music living. And that's what we're doing. Right. I was going to ask if you did yeah. American Pie in your set. So you did, right? It was kind of our closer, yeah. But I would take the glasses off and just sing American Pie. And it was, you know, I, I ended up letting the audience sing most of it. And uh, so I got to see the power of that song nightly. Wow. Yeah. All right. Now let's let's turn around and visit a little bit about your Beatles uh, tribute. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? You mentioned it a little earlier, but uh, tell us about how that show works, because I understand that is more of a audience participation yeah. type of uh, tribute. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, I started, I was an actor and then I was, I was a tribute artist, right? So it was one of those things like, well, what else do you have? What else can you do? And my brothers and I had always grown up loving the Beatles music, like like to the level of my daughter is Cartney, <laughs> my my nephew is Lennon, and my other my other nephew is Harrison. Uh, that's the level of our Beatles fandom, uh, and that started with our dad, who just taught him when we were kids, and so it was always our connection. And we started a band in Omaha playing at Cheeseburger in Paradise. And, and I just started taking Beatle requests one night. And I, and I just said, hey, request any Beatles song. You watch my brothers and I'll play it. 
And what I noticed was people would request the song, but they would give me the reason why every time they requested it. So there I was like saying, okay, who wrote this? Who requested this? And they would raise their hand. And then I would read their reason and we would riff back and forth and then play the song. And I thought, holy crap, that's the greatest idea for a Beatles show ever. And that's really how it started. Um, and again, I just had connections because I'd been doing the Buddy Holly stuff. And I would say, okay, yeah, uh, I'll do the Buddy Holly, but you have to do my Beatles show. And they go, ah, we have a, we have a Beatles show. And you go, yeah, but they dress up and that's not what it is. And, and everybody, when we started, said, not interested. No, thank you. We want them dressed up. Uh, and now we're in our 15th year. We, we're still there. We don't dress up. And it's all about the audience and uh, how they love the music. And when I tell the story about my dad and how he taught my brothers, it's kind of the, the ribbon that ties us all together. So I love doing the show. Uh, and especially, like, even during the pandemic, we were able to do it. And you can just feel that music means a little something to somebody. You know, it's, it's a little bit more important than something we hear on the radio. And that's really what that show is about. What's been the most unusual reason for any one audience member uh, to pick a particular Beatles song? Do you I have mean, some I've examples? It, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, the, the one, I have several stories that immediately popped in my head. Uh, but one that just happened, we just played, where did we play? Okay, we were in Wisconsin in uh, Reedsburg, Wisconsin. And I got a request from Sister Maria. And I'm thinking, okay. And she said, I was, <laughs> I was cloistered during the 60s. I don't know any of their songs. Surprise me. So it's like, okay, now I get to play the first Beatles song this person has ever heard in their life. And so, you know, it's like I get to pick. And so I picked Let It Be. But I was going to pick Why Don't We Do It in the Road, but I didn't think that would be tasteful so well let it be certainly seems appropriate i thought it was appropriate and then at the end of it i just you know so every song that we would play i just ended up saying see that's perfect like you know we did hey jude and i was like well sister would you think of hey jude that's also you know she loved them all so we created a brand new beatles fan and that for me is what that show is all about that's uh, a very cool story yeah cloistered for the 60s she said uh, what about any songs that you were challenged to sing that you didn't know? Oh, yeah. I mean, we when we were first starting out, in fact, in Des Moines at the Des Moines Playhouse, that was one of the first places we did the show. And I still remember it was a Sunday matinee. Sunday matinee. Somebody requested She's a Woman. And we had practiced it like the year before. Uh it's a great Beatles song, and we, I mean, we knew it, but there's a couple of, and we totally fell flat on our face in Des Moines right in front of people, but that just showed, first of all, that we were, we were alive, and we weren't, you know, it was all happening in front of you, uh, and then we got teleprompters, and we never failed again. Ah, <laughs> that's great. So thank now, you, it makes Des sense to me that, that in a particular uh, tribute show to the Beatles, you're going to have a lot more people, uh, I'm guessing, that would be familiar with the Beatles uh, yeah. than you might have those that recognize Buddy Holly tunes. Yeah, I mean, I think what was cool for me was that I, 
I remember that I went to go see, I mentioned that I saw the, the play in London. I went to go see it because I knew that Words of Love was in the show and that the Beatles had done that song. And, oh, hey, that's a Buddy Holly song. That, that was kind of my connection to Buddy Holly. So then, like, as a Beatles fan, listening to one of their biggest influences, I mean, the Beatles are the Beatles because of the crickets, his band. It's it, it just been great. I mean, you see what they took from him and what they liked about him. So I've been able to turn some of my Beatle people onto Buddy Holly that might not have been there before. And vice versa. Buddy Holly people's like, guys, if you like Buddy, you'll love the Beatles. They're the, they sound the same. So. You know, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. And it, it, it makes sense to me that, uh, that the Buddy Holly tribute show and the Beatles tribute show is certainly keeping you and your family, uh, you know, busy. But, yeah. but uh, would that allow for you? And and are you contemplating coming up with some other other tribute shows of other artists? Yeah, in the in the in the pandemic, one of the cool things that my company has been able to do we we just started producing theatrical shows. So we did like Rocky Horror and uh, we did Buddy the Buddy Holly show here in Omaha. And, uh, but we also, one of the parking lot shows that we did, we just wrote, we just wrote another tribute show. So we're able to crank them out now at an unbelievable pace. But as for me, I'm getting a little, as uh, people even said back then when I first started out, because Buddy Holly was 22 and I was 28 then. And I think there's a Kyle Munson article, great Des Moines Register writer, uh, and, and I was talking about that the second I have to color my hair, I won't play Buddy Holly anymore. So now I'm, I just turned 47. So my, my day of the performance are, you know, I'm still doing it, but at, at the degree of picky and choosy, you know what I mean? So well, my day of the tribute it, artists are ending. But. It, it makes sense that you're here uh, very quickly. You've got a ton of rock stars to, to go ahead and work on because we've been inundated with so many rock stars uh, passing away recently, and yeah. and it's uh, it just seems uh, not uncommon to, to turn on the news or pick up a newspaper and see where where somebody has passed on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I guess, man, that is. That is kind of the bummer, right? Hey, this, starting, this might be a good stopping point. We just got a couple minutes left. All right. Uh, you'd, you'd have to put on a little weight probably, but I could see you doing a meatloaf tribute show. <laughs> I love that. You know, I guess, uh, I have one video of me doing Buddy Holly that's gone viral on YouTube, and people just bash me on it, and I absolutely love it. Coming from, like, the comedy world, I love to be roasted. But everybody's like, this guy looks way more like Roy Orbison than Buddy Holly. And it's like, hey, Roy, Roy performed into his 60s. I, I could do a Roy. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, see, the, the, the new thing that I've started doing, Steve, and you'll appreciate this, I've started just doing me. It's great. And see, well, yeah, you can like sneak it. that yeah. in there. And yeah. Who would know? Who knows? Yeah, it's like, hey, here's a new Buddy Holly song. Wait, what? And I would have written it. Let's uh, let's wrap this up, and we'll come back and do part two here after a moment. But we're talking to Billy McQuiggan, who has done tribute shows, a very talented young man in a variety of different ways. We'll be back with part two right after this.
Welcome back to part two of our uh, podcast, and we're talking to Billy McQuiggan, a very talented musician who has uh, uh, moved on to doing tribute shows of the Beatles, and primarily and first, uh, the late, great Buddy Holly. Billy, thanks again for your time. I, I was, uh, you rep. We wrapped up the first segment by uh, asking if you were going to branch out and do other uh, celebrity musicians in the way of a tribute show, and we got to talking a little bit about uh, how some folks are able to see you perform uh, your Buddy Holly tribute uh, on a uh, a YouTube uh, segment. Tell us a little more about that, and and then. Give us some social media information about how people can keep tabs on you. Yeah, you got it. Uh, yeah, so I have, you know, my company is Rayvon Productions. So if you go, you can you can put in YouTube or Google anywhere. I just put my name in Billy McGuigan. The only ones that'll pop up will be me and my and the hockey player from Canada, the hockey player Billy McGuigan, who I've actually met. So if you can look at his stuff too, but mine's more entertaining. But I have one video as Buddy Holly that I put out during the pandemic. I was kind of just reminiscing about the early parts of my career, and I put a video up of me me performing Crying, Waiting, Hoping, which is one of my favorite Buddy Holly songs. But it's one of my favorite Buddy Holly songs because it's the song that Marshall Crenshaw does in La Bamba. And so in Rayvon, when we were doing my show, I just did that version of it, obviously knowing that I'm doing the version of Marshall Crenshaw's Crying, Waiting, Hoping. So you just people just bash me like he's obviously trying to do Marshall Crenshaw, not Buddy Holly. This is crap, and I love it so much. Uh, but a lot of people said, "Yeah, you should try Roy Orbison." So what I do now is I I don't necessarily do any Buddy Holly shows anymore, but I'll just perform as myself. And so in my shows, you get you know you get my songs and you get Buddy Holly songs and Beatles and Roy Orbison because I can play all that. But if you want to check out my, my website, that's billymcguigan.com, and it's B-I-L-L-Y-M-C-G-U-I-G-A-N. And from there, you can find me at my music, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that. I would think that you uh, probably already do this, but if not, you, you should look into it. Uh, a chance to do, on St. Patrick's Day, you know, a Irish tribute type of thing. Do you do that? You know, actually, at our, our school here in Omaha, the McGuigan Arts Academy, we have a, an Irish show that's happening. One of my best friends does a great Irish show. So, ah, it's the luck of the Irish, my friend. Well, I yeah, because uh, with your name, I mean, that's just tailor-made. Yeah, yeah, the Brothers McGuigan. It's, uh, it's got to be one of the most obvious Irish names uh, around. Yeah, and it's so commonly mispronounced. So I'm so oh, appreciative that you, you, you say it correctly, but uh, the old, my son is Kieran McGuigan, so that's C-I-A-R-A-N, very Irish name. But, you know, when he's in school, it's Sierra McGuigan, and he went to <laughs> Ireland. Uh-huh. And, and when I hand him the passport, the guy looks at the passport, and he looks at my son, and he goes, Kieran McGuigan? Welcome home, boy. <laughs> what does a Billy McQuiggan do on St. Patty's Day? I assume that's uh, <laughs> probably your favorite holiday, isn't it? Uh, 
it gets one of my favorites. I'm not a huge drinker, so I, uh, I'm either working or I tend to have a very quiet evening. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, very quiet. I'm a, I've been on the road for too long to get too crazy. You know how that is. Uh, vaguely. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> so uh, tell us about uh, some of your performances that are coming up. And, and, and we alluded earlier to the pandemic really messing things up. But you said you really kind of worked around that. And I, yeah. I understand that. Uh, but does that – and you mentioned something about coming into Des Moines at some point, hopefully soon. But where yeah. else can people see you and, and take advantage of seeing your great shows? Yeah, uh, in this month, uh, February 17th, 18th, and 19th, I'm going to be in Savannah, Georgia. There's a theater there in Savannah, so anybody listening in Savannah, beautiful place. And then uh, February 26th, Pocatello, Idaho. And then all through March, I'll be touring uh, Florida. So all of those dates are on my website, billionmcgligan.com. See, it's, it's happening again. Work is happening again. It's so nice. Yeah, it does. It sounds great. And and yeah. uh, and yet, you probably don't have any trouble with this. But in this day and age of political correctness, uh, comics are taking a hit everywhere. Oh. You know, yeah. uh, because uh, people are so eager to be offended. But yet, you don't. You don't have any trouble with that, do you? Uh, I've luckily, very luckily, been able to sidestep it. I mean, the only trap that I would fall into uh, would be, uh, you know, social media, which I'm pretty, I lay pretty low on that. Uh, and in the interaction, you know, sometimes I'll see things on the request cards that, I, you know, I could very easily take a direction on it and I just lay low. Yeah, it's a weird climate that we live in. It's definitely way different than when I started. You know, you just oh, yeah. that evolution. And I just luckily have been able to be in between worlds, you know? Right. And and with the yeah. shows that you do, I mean, it makes sense because, uh, you know, everybody that's going to come to your show knows they're going to see a tribute to Buddy Holly or the Beatles. Yeah. And my shows are about the music. I don't really give a shit about what you think about other stuff, I, to be honest with you. I think that's the best way to be. It's like, I, we're just here to celebrate music. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw anything at you. Don't throw anything at me. Let's just, you know, music's supposed Let's to bring people together. And I, and I think that's really what's been shocking about, you know, you're seeing like musicians make this huge stand. It's like, wait, so now we're, we're going to separate. Okay. Uh, I've just always been about, you know, take a sad song and make it better. You know? <laughs> appropriate. No, 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 hey, Jude, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, uh, you said you, you would have some reluctance to play the surf ballroom, and you explained why I understand that. Yeah. Are there some venues, though, that you've yet to conquer that you would like to play? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, man, I mean, everybody, of course, says, you know, <laughs> Madison Square Garden would be lovely. But I, you know, I've just my I've just been lucky to, to have a career where I've I've gotten to play everywhere, as high level with symphonies, as low levels as uh, you know a bar where there was where no audience, and uh, you know I've seen it all. So whatever is next, Steve, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm just I'm not done, you know. Well, and we would be upset with you if you were. Yeah, I would be too. 
give everybody again your social media. We uh, we I had said to Dave, I said we got to talk to Billy McQuiggan. Yes. And and I uh, the only thing I had said to him was in a way of trying to track you down was to get a hold of the uh, Funny Bone in Omaha, which he did, and we were yes. finally able to to contact you. Uh, but but. Uh, Again, the social media, let people in on that. I don't think we can overstate how people need to get a hold of you and see a, a video, YouTube, that type of thing of your show. Yeah. Yeah. Because cool once, I, cool once I know they see part of it or know more about your show, there'll be that many more people eager to track you down on tour and actually That's see your show firsthand. Yeah, because as a, as a, Midwestern musician, I play all throughout Iowa. Uh, you know, we played Cedar Rapids, I think, just a month ago. Uh, Cedar Falls and Cedar Rapids, just all a month ago. Uh, if, if you know how to spell my name, you can find me anywhere. And that's the cool thing about having a unique name. There's only a couple of us. So B-I-L-L-Y, Billy with a Y, McGuigan, M-C-G-U-I-G-A-N. So that's me on Facebook. That's me on Twitter, on Instagram just at Billy McGuigan. You can find me, if you put Billy McGuigan, Buddy Holly in YouTube, you can see the crying, waiting, hoping we were talking about, and you can make a nasty comment too. I'll read it and love it. Uh, and then, or Billy McGuigan yesterday and today, Billy McGuigan, Beatles, I pop up there. So you can find me because my name's so unique. Exactly. Uh, what's been the most unusual response, either through social media or someone that was at one of your shows and came up afterwards? Uh, Man, I, I have been lucky enough to, uh, I, you know, I'm going to just talk to the, the, the comedy. I think you'll appreciate this. When I was first starting Ray Vaughn, which is the Buddy Holly show that I wrote, we started at the Omaha Funny Bone. And this is a time when Emo Phillips would have been there. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy would have been there, and I think he might have been Dan Whitney at that point. I don't even think he was Larry the Cable Guy at that point. That's, that's actually true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, you know what I mean? So I had, so on, we were doing off nights at the Funny Bone, so co comics would come to the show on off nights, and because I was young and impressionable, I mean, they would give me notes, and these jokes that I would have in the show would be killers because they were crafted by guys like that, you know what I mean? And comics like like Tammy Pescatelli, who would be like, "Oh, Billy, you should say it like this," and be like, "Oh, of course, I'll do that." And those are moments that I now wish I could just go back and. I mean, it's not that I didn't appreciate it then, but what what a creative and cool time that this little thing that I created. I'm a poor military kid, Steve. I mean, I grew up on food stamps; would have been a luxury. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how poor we were as kids. <laughs> but I mean, I just have been so appreciative of the people that have helped me along the way and without asking anything in return. And that's why, you know, and that have been musicians and comics and actors and people along the way. But that's my favorite thing and the things that I will never forget. I'm, I'm wondering more so uh, about people that come up to you after the show and, and may have said, uh, I met Buddy Holly or I knew oh, Buddy yeah. Holly or I... I met Paul McCartney once yep. and, and shared yep. stories like that with you. For sure. I, uh, with Tommy also, so Tommy also, again, I'll bring him up again, uh, flip the coin with Richie Balance. Just this cool, like, guy from Oklahoma, just 
you know, exactly what you would expect from a, a working musician from the 40s and 50s. Stories forever. For Paul McCartney's 40th birthday, 50th birthday, Linda McCartney called Tommy Allsup and had him go play his birthday party. So I got this inside scoop and I was like, please tell me you jammed with him. He's like, oh yeah, we jammed for hours and hours and drink it, you know. Uh, that's cool to me. I was able to meet May Peng, who was with John Lennon during the last weekend. Okay. She, you know, that was really cool to me. It was like, oh my God, I met May Peng. And she was with a woman, Cynthia was her name, who was a stunt woman in the 70s. That was even cooler to me because she had done like the Fall Guy and all that, which I know you got to love that. What a life, man. But I mean, for me, most of the people I've met were comics working at the Funny Bone, like being Tommy Chong's merch guy or. <laughs> You know, Louis Black having lunch with him. Those were the coolest things. Uh, but Buddy Holly, it was more people seeing Buddy Holly uh, as opposed than opposed to meeting him. But the few people that I do know that got to meet him all said the same thing that he was this amazingly creative and talented person uh, who had drive unlike anybody they'd ever seen. So. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm, I'm, see, that's uh, weird, man. I don't, I don't ever really think about it or talk about it. So to be able to think, it's like, wow, it is It's really kind of cool, you know? Uh, I'm wondering if, if uh, you know, the remaining Beatles, uh, or, or you've been playing long enough at the Beatles tribute, perhaps, uh, any of the, uh, any of the Beatles uh, would be yeah. interesting yeah. if, if they would have, if they would have been at one of your shows and, and had a chance to see you do a tribute to their music, yeah, I think that's again what makes it cool too. See, that it's not about it's not about a tribute to them, not necessarily like what they look like or their image. It's about the effect that their music has. And I think I've always kind of slept well thinking if they did see the show, they dig it because it's people just telling you why they love their music. You know, it's not about I'm Paul. You know, I'm John. It's not. It's not that. It's, it's the heart of what they do. You know, so and you know, and there's no way around it. It's it's a tribute. Correct. It's a tribute it's to their genius. You know, their it's songwriting. That's right. That's right. And the same with Buddy Holly. Although we lost him so soon that that yeah. uh, there's no likelihood you would have ever met him. No, what would you I, say I, to him if you did? Man, wow. Well, I think, that, well, people have asked me, you know, what he would have done had he lived. And in being able to talk to Tommy Alsop and Sonny, they both kind of said that he would have gravitated towards producing records. And I think as a, you know, his best friends would have been Waylon Jennings. I mean, Waylon Jennings was on that tour with him. That's the person that I would have wanted to talk to. You know, not necessarily, hey, what have you done to... I, I would have loved to see what he could have been able to do. He was so inventive, and I think he would have been the American George Martin. And nobody would talk about Phil Spector. They would talk about Buddy Holly. Right, right. Yeah. You know, in a kind of uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, mm -hmm. uh, we actually had Lou Diamond Phillips in our studio oh. uh, at one point. Nice. Yeah, he was in Des Moines uh, headlining a, a, a musical. I forget what it was, but we, we had him King in the I. I think it was The King and I, wasn't it? I think he was The King and The King and I. 
that that, that, that rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Oh. He is so. He. Uh, that was the movie for my brothers and I. That when we saw that movie, that's how we know all this old rock and roll music. Like every song that's in that movie, for me, is as important as a Beatles song. You know, whether that's "Who Do You Love." You know, Bo Diddley's Who Do You Love or Richie Valens, Donna, any of those songs are so important to us. It would have been uh, likely impossible, but yet it would have been so enjoyable uh, to have had you in our studio when he was in there. Because I remember we spent uh, not, a, not a good deal of time, but some time talking about uh, La Bamba when Luke oh, Diamond yeah. Phillips was in there. Yeah. Yeah, and we learned so some great. things about Richie Valens, and and uh, uh, we we spoke to the director of the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame not long ago, and he alluded to uh, Richie Valens' uh, sister lives up at Spirit Lake, right? And com- comes by the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and sets up a table and. And and uh, sells pictures and other memorabilia relative to Richie Valens. Have you ever run into her anywhere? I, from what I understand, uh, she she came to a couple of shows that I did in Des Moines. I, oh really? I, I, yeah, I vaguely remember maybe being introduced to her, but I know that she came. I'm not sure if I ever met her personally, like beyond a quick handshake after a show. But yeah, what? What an amazing family that have really carried on his legacy in a really great way. And not to be outdone, but but uh, yeah. I'm aware of. In fact, I met her once at a at a show uh, where she set up a table and and uh, was signing some autographs and selling photos. George Harrison's sister. Uh, oh, Louise. Yeah, have you met her? And I, you know, I have not met Louise. Yeah, I think I think I might be her competition. As <laughs> she backs the Beatles show, so I, she might see me. But I would I, I wouldn't think that. I'd be like, oh my god, that's George's sister. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's a small world, isn't it, my friend? Indeed, it is. Indeed, it is. So you say that you're not done yet. How long do you plan to parlay these tribute shows? Before you have to hang up the guitar. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go as long as they keep booking me. You know, right now, right now, you know, I think that kind of dictates it, right? So I know when the booking stops and I'm done. That, that is the market telling me move on. So right now we're doing, we're doing pretty well. So keep an eye out for me. I'm out there. I'm the, the Irish guy with the weird name. Well, and it, uh, you know, according to Dave and I, it, it just takes a little time to track you down. That's but right. That's You've correct. made it easier by giving us your social uh, media yeah. information. And, what and about my social security number? I also gave you that, so don't give that out freely, all right? Right, or your home yeah. phone number. Yeah, I've got that in my home address right here for you. Right. What's your PIN number? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, as talented as you are covering Buddy Holly and Beatles songs, uh, and as talented a musician as you are, what about any kind of uh, music you've written, songs you've written on your own? Yeah, I in the uh, in the pandemic when my career came to a screeching halt, I uh, I grew facial hair and long hair. I looked like Tom Hanks and Castaway, and I went into my garage 
and recorded a, an album full of songs that I started writing in that, that year. So I kind of tried to be McCartney, played, taught myself to play drums and bass. And because I'm a smart ass, I called the album Together. But it's just me alone. So. <laughs> now tell us yeah. a little bit about some of these songs that you've written and whether or not in any of your shows you add a couple originals. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, we started to do that. I have uh, a song kind of about my career as Buddy Holly called Me and Peggy Sue. That's what I really like. Uh, uh -huh. and, and then I have a song that in my head, it was a Buddy Holly song that he wrote for Elvis where the Beatles were the backing vocalist and the backing band was the 70s Rolling Stones. So if that gives you any idea about where my state of mind was, <laughs> that's where I was. So it was it's a double album full of songs that sound like they were recorded in the 60s and 70s. Now, is there a, a, a place in, in the social media library you were telling us about that people can hear some of your original stuff? A absolutely. That's on uh, Apple Music, on Spotify, on, uh, on my website. They can buy the full record if they'd like. Perfect. Yeah. You haven't taken you haven't taken your uh, music off of Spotify because <laughs> of genre. Hey, hey, not enough people are listening to it for, to make any difference. So <laughs> <laughs> nobody would know or care. So I have just quietly left it up there. So <laughs> I'm not That's in a funny. position where I can pull my stuff off of anything. That's funny. So, yeah. Billy McQuiggan, and you live great, in Omaha. Friend. I sure do. And you've given us your uh, social media information so people can, can check your website and buy your yep. CDs. Uh, and you're going to be, you've promised you're going to be coming through the central Iowa area and at some there. point and soon. No, but yep. otherwise, you're here pretty prominently in the Midwest. Yep. I, uh, yeah. I just, I just want to say again, thank you so much for taking part in our little podcast. My and I, I want to follow you and at some point see your show and reconnect, shake your hand and give you a big round guy hug. I'd like that. Is there anything else you want to send it home with? Anything else you feel like you need to let our listeners in on? No, this has been fantastic. I just have absolutely loved uh, talking to you and catching up with you. And I can't believe I made a two-part episode on a podcast. How cool is that? Well, I, you know, on your resume, I would list it first. <laughs> uh, you know what? It, it's the, I'm now changing my bio. <laughs> <laughs> so appreciate uh, Be well. Billy McQuiggan, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the often imitated, never equaled, a legend in his spare time. <laughs> Billy, I hope to see you soon. Take care, my friend. Be well. You too. Bye-bye. Great talking to you. Bye-bye.